Well, hey, let's jump into it. Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to take a kind of a, a break to emphasize something that we've been building. And I think it's helpful from time to time. Welcome, by the way. So thrilled that you could be here. Um, I think it's helpful uh, from time to time to just <clears throat> reiterate um, kind of it's like drinking through a fire hose sometimes, I feel. You know, it's, it's hard to take in. And, you know, we go home from services where the Lord speaks and it's like, wow, you know, God's talking and he's communicating and he's, he's reminding us of who we are. And sometimes you need to hear it more than once. At least I know I do. So I want to give you, if I can, just a little bit of an introduction of where we've been. And maybe you're just joining us. Um, of course, like Pastor said, these have been recorded. Also want to let you know, if you go to Jeremiah Bullock, Dot com. My name's spelled somewhere around here. Um, we have uh, there on, I believe, the front page of the bottom, uh, a link to our podcast. And there's just maybe 100 or so, maybe 100 and I don't know how many there are, to be honest with you. There's a lot. But uh, over 100, at least, studies that we've done, and they're all free. And um, I, I post a new one every five days. Um, I just, everything's been ramping up, so <laughs> we're sharing a lot. So uh, if you'd like to be able to go back and kind of research a little bit of what we've been talking about and um, what we're studying, you can go there, okay? But let me give us, for those of you who are just joining, those of you online who just joined, let me give you a little bit of recap of where we've been. I'm absolutely convinced, okay? I'm absolutely convinced if you and I would just believe who he says we are, we would live transformational lives. We would not only live transformed, we would live transformational lives. One of the things that was so wonderful about Jesus, you have 12 apostles, 120 followers that would be there at his ascension and at his death and at Pentecost. And they were, they did not have what you and I have. We have the, the, up until Pentecost, they did not have the Holy Spirit like you and I do. And yet the insight that they had, and yet how, how they were being used by God, some of the things that Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looks to Peter and he says, you've been hearing from my father. And it's, it's amazing it's amazing what happens when even the world just rubs up against a child of God. Just living in the presence of someone who is walking with the Father. Like someone who's legitimately Christian. Not someone who just goes to church, but someone who's legitimately Christian. They're impacted. Seriously, they're impacted just by being in, in, in your presence. If you know who you are. So what we've been doing this week, and, and all of this has been rather new in terms of deliberate teaching, at least from my ministry, but I've been deliberately, specifically highlighting what we find in the scriptures about who we are. We're, it's, it's more than just physical things. Of course, the church has wonderful ways to minister to the, to the community in physical ways. We check, you know, batteries and smoke detectors, okay? We have, you know... Uh, input in terms of local high schools and graduations and birthdays and weddings and, you know, funerals, all the fun stuff. 
So we have ways of ministering physically to our community. It's necessary. It's wonderful. But the impact that we're supposed to have, really, physically it's minimal. Spiritually, the impact we have is to be just extraordinary. Or as we would say it really quickly, extraordinary. Like you, you and I have the capacity to spiritually influence our world. We've been looking in Ephesians. Paul mentions five times in Ephesians this phrase, heavenly realms, which has to do with the spiritual. So we looked at that on Sunday. And when you go both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's all these references to angels and demonic forces and, you know, this, the movement of God through, through not just Jesus, but through the disciples in supernatural ways. Peter walks down the street, his shadow falls on people, and they're healed. I mean, it's ridiculous. They made more than just a physical impact. And again, so oftentimes when we talk about church, and obviously we're not necessarily talking about us, but generally speaking, when we talk about church, we end up talking about it in terms of physical ways and physical devotion. You know, I'm a Christian because I physically go to a, a, a building on Sunday, which we call the church. You know, I give money. You know, it's like monetary substance. All of that's really awesome, and we should be doing that. But there's a whole nother level of influence and participation that God has for us beyond the physical. See, I do, I, I, I'm absolutely convinced that you can physically go to church on Sunday and yet not spiritually be in church. Any worship leader worth their salt will tell you there's a difference between singing and worship. There's a difference between giving 10% of your money and tithing. Just two completely different things. Just because you physically do, God's not mocked. He knows the heart. So what we do is, is beyond physical. There's a spiritual element. And this is just so strong in the New Testament. And Paul is just killing it. He goes as far as to say at the end, which we looked at this last night, we'll pick it up again tomorrow, kind of a, doing a little bit of a, a window, uh, uh, kind of a reminder tonight. But he talks in chapter 6, verse 12, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The term wrestles we looked at last night is literally hand-to-hand -hand combat. The fight that you're in the midst of is not physical. I was, I was at a teen camp this summer, and this young man very valiantly stood up and said, Jesus, just take my sex drive. I'm like, sit down and be quiet. He gave you that sex drive. It's not bad. It's called a drive for a reason. The problem is, young man, you're in charge of your sex drive, and he's not. And so what we, end, and we do this as people, we end up coming to God and we want him to take us out of physical circumstances. We never seem to ask, did you put us in these physical circumstances? We've all been there. We've all been there. So the reality is, it's oftentimes, see, you got to get out of the physical. See, Paul says, listen, you don't wrestle again. Your, your, your fight is not physical. The battle you have is spiritual. Now, I, I've been going after this for about a year and just recently started sharing it. I had to make sure I wasn't a heretic. Because it's been new for me to at least the depth that I've been, I've been, what the Lord's been revealing to me. 
through the word. It's the depth of it. It's, it's been new. See, I went back to Genesis and what we talked about on Sunday. I went back to Genesis and how did we get included in all this drama? I ask that question every time I go to Thanksgiving with my family. I'm like, why am I here? I mean, come on. I, I don't even watch days of our lives. Why, why am I living this? You know, okay, God and his angels and Satan and his demons, okay, they're at war. I'm fine. Leave me out of it. Do your thing. I'm physical. You're spiritual. Get out of my backyard. Go tear up somewhere else. How did I get involved in this? So I go back into Genesis and quickly I begin to realize that there's all kinds of things that was going on before mankind was even created. We know that, for instance, in chapter 3, again, Lucifer was in the garden. And Lucifer was the fallen Lucifer. See, he's, he's the scary guy. He's Satan at that point. Which means you not only have an angel, but you have a fallen angel. Which means there was a war that had happened. There was a rebellion that had happened before we ever come along. I got really interested in that. Begin to search out, what does the scripture say about our adversary? Quite a lot, actually. And it, it tells us in, 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 in uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, there's this description of our enemy. And it says in verse 13, the end of verse 12, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. I was like, hold on, that's where Adam and Eve was. Come on, that's where Adam and Eve was. Well, he was there before we were because this was before he fell. Which means this whole creation event. Well, what was he doing there? Oh, this whole creation event. Satan was around at the beginning of that whole thing. Well, what was he doing there? Well, you go down to verse 14. It says, you were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. God specifically created Satan. Lucifer. As a guardian cherub, the most beautiful, tremendous, but he was a guardian cherub. What, what did guardian cherubs do? Well, if you look that word guardian up in the original language, it means guard. <laughs> yeah, he's a guard. Paul, t- Paul tells us very plainly that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation. Let me say that again. Ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. We've heard that before. Yeah, he was a guard. Satan was not all-powerful. He was not created with any kind of authority. Not over mankind. He was not created, nor was any angel, in the image of God. You and I were created in the image of God. And you may need to go back and listen to this a little bit over and just kind of listen You were created in the image of God. Angels were not created in the image of God. Animals were not created. We, mankind alone, was created in God's image and likeness. And likeness is a really significant term. Because when you look in Isaiah chapter 14, the fall of Satan was due, he wanted to be like God. The like in Isaiah 14, are you listening to me? This is important, don't check out on me. The like in Isaiah 14 and the like in Genesis 1.26, we were created in his likeness. Satan wanted to be like God. Same Hebrew word. Identical. Same Hebrew word. 
You mean Satan, who was a guardian cherub, who was created to be in the garden of God, to be a guardian over all that God was doing in the physical, this new thing. He was jealous of what we carry? He wanted what we have? Yes. Why do you think he went after us? See, if you want to know how do we get involved in that, that's how we got involved. And Satan, or Adam sinned, succumbed to the temptation of the enemy, and all that Adam carried and the authority that he walked in was given to the enemy. In fact, Satan, when he's tempting Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he tells Jesus, shows him in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. Go back and read it. Luke chapter 4 sometime. Not tonight. He says, he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all of this I will give to you because it's been given to me and I can give it to whoever I want to. When I first read that, I thought, what, what bonehead gave him that authority? Adam did. Satan wasn't created with that. He took it. He's an usurper. He's not the rightful ruler. He was the usurper of the throne. So Jesus shows up and says, hey, guess what? I'm kind of taking it back and there's nothing you can do about it. All authority. And we see, this is the message of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, Paul calls him, if you remember you know, in, in his writings, Paul calls him the second Adam. What does that mean? If you want to know the authority that Adam had in his creation, you look at Jesus. Because Jesus got it all back. You're like, hold on, so Adam wasn't just created with physical authority, he was created with spiritual authority? Yes. You, Adam was created to walk and talk in intimacy with the Father. He was created to have spiritual authority. Satan didn't have that authority. Adam did. Isn't that remarkable? We have that now in Christ. Paul says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your real fight is spiritual, not, not physical. In fact, he says stuff like the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. He doesn't say the personality of a man. Doesn't say his big muscles like Pastor has. See, he didn't, he didn't say that. He doesn't say the good looks that Trevor has. I know I should stop. Come on, your, your attributes are not physical, they're spiritual. We are to be and we're created to be an anomaly for the enemy. We're a juggernaut. To the child of God, the enemy means nothing. The war is over. Jesus won. Seriously. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, but Jeremiah, you don't know where I've been. Yeah, your past. It no longer, it no longer belongs to you. It doesn't belong to the enemy. If the enemy comes at you with your past, remember, he's a liar and a father of lies. So if he comes to you about your past, just say, hey, listen, go talk to Jesus. He has it. You don't have to defend your past. Do you know Why? Because your past doesn't belong to you either if you're a Christian. Your past belongs to Jesus. We're going to talk about that tonight. See, what, what I want to do tonight is I want to look at the first opening section of Paul's letter in Ephesians. The first verse, really. And I just, I, I, you, you don't have to believe me. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But I would love to just take the scriptures, open them up a little bit, and say, this is who you are. Go live like it. I dare you. Just test it. Seriously, just test him. Just go out and live. Resist the devil. He's going to flee from you. Chew fly, don't bother me. 
I belong to the, to the holy one true God. I'm a child of the most high king. To speak to me is a violation. He acts illegally when he comes against a child of God. You just have to remind him, go away. That's who you are. Now, if you're living in sin, whole nother deal. What's sin? Sin is a betrayal of who God has created you to be. Where you're no longer seeing the way he sees, but you see the way the enemy sees. And if you want to give the enemy that kind of access in your life, that's what you'll do when you sin. The last thing is, see, our adversary, the devil, the New Testament calls him the prince of this air. He's the prince of the world. He has no throne. He has no kingdom. It's not, I use this illustration, it's not like Lord of the Rings where you have Mordor, the land of Mordor, right across from Minas Tirith. And, you know, Minas Tirith is a stronghold. Mordor, and you have the whole, you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the eye and the tower and all of that, you know, Tower of Bowerdur and all that. That's not, Satan doesn't have that. All of that's been taken over by Jesus. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know what the Greek word for all means? All. You mean Satan has no authority. He has zero authority. Well, then why do we see what's going on in our community? The enemy has zero authority unless you allow him in your life and then he steals your authority. So Satan rules where you let him rule. He has no kingdom. He has no authority. He has no say. And when he comes to you, you can look at him and say, in the name of Jesus, you do not have permission to talk to me. Flee. I rebuke you. I resist you. Go away. Don't want to talk to you. I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He just smells different than Jesus. Okay, this is this is irrefutable, undeniable truth from the scriptures. Test, test it. Step out. So what I want to do with you this evening is I want to look a little bit as Paul, and I just want to kind of reiterate, we're in chapter 6, but I wanted to go back, and this is on our, on our website, on our podcast, but I want to look at it fresh with you this evening. And I want to look with you at verse 3. And verse 3 is the opening verse of a whole series on what we have in Christ. Okay, when you're seated in Christ, this is, this, is what, this is what you and I have. So this is a picture of who you are. Buckle up. Seriously, it's not arrogance, but it's like today. I, I, I go downtown, and I, I park in the wrong area, so I end up walking for like five blocks. But it was cool. And I find myself walking, and I just, every once in a while, I just... It just dawns on me. I'm a child of the Most High God. I can walk boldly into the throne room. I can call him not Father, which is a formal term, which is how Jesus talks about him, but Jesus also calls him Abba. You know what Abba means? Dad or Pops. That's who I am. And I was just walking down the street today, and I almost just stopped this guy. Hey, do you know that I'm a, I'm a child of God? Just thought you should know. <laughs> You'd probably be like, you're weird. I know. I know. 
You can be too. Dear, seriously, it's amazing, man. It's amazing. The, it, it's amazing. It's amazing the love he has for us. It's ridiculous. Just walk in it, bathe in it, think on it, celebrate, worship. So Paul breaks this down for us, and there's a little bit of some little bit of technicality here in, in terms of language. But I look at that as a reward. So tomorrow it's going to get real. Tomorrow we're going to learn about infinitives. Do you know how much fun infinitives are? It's way more fun than math. I'll tell you that right now. Yes. This ain't algebra. This is infinitives. This is, these are infinite. It, 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 we'll talk about it tomorrow. But I'm going to look with you at verse 3. Per, verse 3, I'm reading out of the NIV. We'll get, some, we'll get to some grammar here shortly. But my, my translation that I'm, I'm reading out of is the NIV, 1984 NIV. And it reads like this, chapter 1, verse 3 of Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you ever read um, commentaries, and if you don't really know what a commentary is, there are good commentaries and not so good commentaries. There are kind of homiletical preacher commentaries, and then there's like word study background commentaries. There's all different kinds. But irregardless, commentaries are basically what they sound like. They're comments. They're a collection of comments. Scholars are so valuable to us, to guys like me, that they, they take all of their comments that they make on Scripture and they compile them together in books and they call them commentaries and they sell them because they are anointed and they're gifted and their occupation is to receive high levels of education to deal with language and culture and they study and they're invaluable to, you know, to pastors and, and, and to guys like me. If you read the, the scholars on, on, you know, verse 3 of Ephesians, you know, many of them will tell you what is evident and true is that verse 3 is what we call a Trinitarian passage. And a Trinitarian passage, if you ever have anybody that said, well, I've never heard of the Trinity and that's not in the Bible. So, oh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Okay. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20. Okay. There's several of them, you know, 18 through 20. There's several passages that are Trinitarian passages. Okay. Our God is one Godhead made up of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I can't go through all the Trinity tonight, but Pastor Mark said he's going to explain the Trinity in full on Sunday. So you can just come back, answer all questions you have. Okay? So, but our, one, our Godhead is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you say, what, what do you mean Godhead? Well, our God, when you speak of our God, like in the Old Testament, our God Jehovah, that's talking about all three. Our God Yahweh, that's talking about all three. All three members of the Godhead are involved in our redemption. Now, we highlight Jesus because he's the one that came, took on flesh, lived among us. We saw what he looks like. We watched him die on a cross. We seen him come out of a grave, watched him ascend. He's the physical of the three, took on the physical. The other two are spirit. We don't even know the names of the other two. We know the names of the second member of our Trinity. Again, the son, his name is Jesus. We don't know the names of the other two. I personally think it's Bill and Larry, but I, you know, I, I can't find that biblical. <laughs> it's just a little, little preaching joke, a little preaching humor, okay, just keeping you awake. So, but we don't know the name of the other two. We don't know their the father, their the roles, father and Holy Spirit. 
But all three, we know, we know about the son's ministry, but all three have a role in our redemption. Now, in this passage, we call it a Trinitarian passage because all three members, Paul does this beautifully, all three members and their redemptive role is expressed in this verse. Okay? Now, it's expressed by the term blessed. All three members of the Godhead bless us. And by the way, when you're blessed by God, it is redemptive, it's restorative, it's provisional. You ever wondered why in the Old Testament, like, they fought over the blessing, like that whole debacle with Jacob and Esau, and, you know, I, I struggled with that as a young believer. He deceives his brother, you know, he just, it's bad enough he taped lambskin to his arms, gross. He received the blessing and then ran away. His brother got the house, the swimming pool, the four-wheelers. He got everything. And you're like, all that, all that Jacob got was the blessing. Dude, the blessing was next level. That's all the provision of God is with the blessing. All of the protection, all of the inheritance. Not physical, spiritual. Dude, you and I have got to get out of the physical mindset of things. Because if you come to the scriptures with a physical mindset, you're going to be lost. Because you're going to look at the story of Jacob and Esau and say, that's the stupidest thing. He, he, oh, he wanted God to say, I bless you. And then he runs off. Yes, because the, the spiritual is what matters, man. Every time. Well, I understand, Jeremiah, but it's just pornography. It's not hurting anybody. Spiritually, it's decay. That's why Jesus says if you look at a person lustfully, you've already committed sin. It's just exactly like you did it. It produces the same spiritual condition in your life. The modern day church typically has such a physical, well, I'm a Christian, I go to church on Sunday. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. I love that. I don't lie. I don't steal. I wear the right clothes. Who cares? None of that. None of that matters. Intention of the heart deal. Intimacy with the Father. That's the language. So this blessing idea that's in verse 3, each member each member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is redemptively, you know what I mean by redemptively? He's redeeming, each member has a role in making you a new person. Let me say that again. Each member of our, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each have a, 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 a role in, in your transformation. So I want to go through and look at each one of them tonight, okay? Now the first one is with the Father. Now you're going to say, hold on. Where does it say that the Father blessed us? Oh, it, it, it appears there in verse 3, which is the whole verse. But praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. And you're like, well, what does it mean by he blesses us? In most of your translations, I would be interested if there's anyone here who has a different translation. In my translation, it reads, praise be to the God and Father. Does anybody have a different translation? What does yours read? Yes. That's Pastor, Pastor, uh, Pastor Clay and Angie. I've only known him for about 10 years. I get so focused in on 
Thanks, Bart. It's actually his, what is that, the ESV? The ESV, is, that's the closest. There's still a minor tweak that needs to be made. But in my translation, the phrase praise be is, is in the original language, the word that we translate blessed a couple times in the passage, that's the same word at the beginning of verse 3. And the word be in the passage is not even there. Not in the original language. You'd say, why do they put it there? I have no idea. They should have called me. I'd say, don't put that there. Seriously, it's not in the original language. So your verse should actually read, listen, this is important. Your verse should actually read, the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. So the verse should read, the blessed God and Father, okay, the blessed Father has blessed us. And if you look at this and you say, what does it mean when the Father blesses us? Well, get this. The first, the word that we translate praise be, which is actually blessed, is an adjective, not a verb. It's not praise be. It's not an infinitive. It's not a participle. It's It's an adjective. So it's the word that describes the Father. Now, in the Old Testament, they were really finicky about that. I mean, Moses says, who, who, who are you? You're telling me to go to Egypt. Who do I tell them? Like, what, what's your name? Is your name Bart? You know, Bob? You know, you're not Malek. Who are you? And God's like, wow, I, I am who I am. I'm beyond any description. Because the reality and what they would learn, the people of Israel, what they would learn, is that any description you gave of God quickly became an idol because he was bigger than that. He's indescribable. And so Paul uses this term blessed as a safe way to refer to God. What's, the, what's a good way to, re- it's like holy. What's a good way to refer to God? Holy. Or even what's better, love. God is love. Well, what does that mean? What's love? God. Well, who's God? Love. You're like, hold on, that's trickery. Yeah, it's a term that describes the fullness of who he is. You can do that with blessed. Paul says, the blessed Father has blessed us. If you want to know how God the Father has the redemptive role he's played in your life, get this. The, here it is. The adjective that describes him, the Father said, I want that adjective to describe you. So God's redemptive role, God the Father's redemptive role in your life is everything that describes him, how he sees, how he feels, how his heart beats. Everything that describes him, God the Father says, I ordain that that's going to describe you. In fact, he created us in his likeness. That the whole of creation was to look at Adam and say, you remind me of someone. That's who you're supposed to be. Let me give you an example of where this is demonstrated. We're going to go to only one passage tonight. We're going to go to it twice. It's in John chapter 5. While you're turning there, in John chapter 5, the first 15 verses, this makes up the setting where Jesus ends up healing this man on the Sabbath and gets in trouble for it. And the leaders of Israel come to him, and they're, they're investigating, they're interrogating, they're wanting to kill him. And so Jesus has to give a reason, beginning in verse 16, he has to give a reason why he healed this man on the Sabbath. 
So he begins in verse 16, and it says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus, now look at this. What, what was, what's, what's the redemptive work of the Father? The redemptive work of the Father is that what describes him describes us. So what does Jesus say? When they say, why did you heal this man on the Sabbath? Verse 17 says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and therefore I too am working. What's he saying? Hey, come on, man. By the way, that word working there is not just like, um, it's not just like working like going to work. It's not just physical. He's talking about inward drive. We would use that term when, when you're describing how your son is working to make the team, the football team. Boy, he's really working at it. It has to do with intention and drive. So what Jesus says is, you want to know why I healed this guy on the Sabbath? Dude, my father is always driven, man. He's always after, and I am too. Because what describes him describes me. That's who you're supposed to be. How, how he feels is how I feel. And they, they don't get that. So verse 18, they, they want to kill him in verse 18. So Jesus tries it again. He says, well, don't kill me yet. He says, let me give you another example. And in verse 19, he says, I tell you the truth. Let me read it, and then we'll go back through it. Notice the word do. He says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. There are two Greek words different that John uses in his gospel. Both are fantastic and fine, and, but one focuses more on the physical and one focuses more on inside stuff. Proso, for instance, is the word that focuses on the physical. If you go, in, go home tonight and your neighbor sees you pulling into the yard or pulling into your driveway and they're saying, hey, what? say he's a Greek guy. You have a Greek neighbor. And he says, what did you prosso tonight? He's asking, what did you physically do? And you would say, go to church. I went to church. He's not concerned with why you went to church. He's not in any of that kind of motivation. He simply wants to know what you prosoed. That's what prosso is. This is not the term that Jesus uses here. When they say, why did you heal on the Sabbath? Jesus is not saying, whatever my father prosos, I prosso. And whatever I prosso, my father prosso's. That's not the word he uses. He's not, in other words, he's not saying, well, you want to know why I healed on the Sabbath? Well, I've seen my dad do that. Whatever my dad does, I do. Yeah. Why do you wear those clothes? These are the clothes that Jesus wears. Why do you sing those songs? Those are the songs Jesus likes. Yeah, I, I spy and watch him do his activities. So I do those same activities. Well, I go to church. Why? Because it's, I, don't play, I don't play basketball on Sunday because, see, those are all physical-oriented things. That's not the term Jesus used. The, the term Jesus used is not proso. It's poieo. And poieo is a neat term. I may have mentioned it last time I was here. But poieo is used in secular Greek culture to describe how trees produce fruit. And fruit language is super big in the New Testament, you will know them by their fruit. The Holy Spirit will produce fruit in your life. Christianity is really like fruity. It's really important. And you say, what's the big deal with this poieo term? Well, poieo describes how trees produce fruit. Whatever's, get this, whatever's going on inside of the tree will make it produce a certain kind of fruit. 
So an apple tree will produce apples. A peach tree will produce peaches. You cannot expect an apple tree to produce peaches. Nor would an apple tree get up in the spring and say, I'm so tired of apples. I'm doing pears. Seriously, pears are where it's at. It's a new thing. Well, no, you can't. You're going to know a tree by its fruit, man. Not by what it physically says or physically, come on. You're going to know a tree by its fruit. It's going to produce. So what is Jesus saying in verse 9? He says, you want to know why I did what I did? You want to know why I healed this man on the Sabbath? Get this. Whatever's going on inside of my dad that makes him do what he does, that's what's going on inside of me. Makes me do what I do. That's the ministry of the Father. See, I don't care that you go to church. I want to know why you go to church. He's not, he's not impressed with activities. See, it never bothers me when I go to churches, and I've been thrilled about what God's doing in your church. And I find that to be very rare these days, Mark, honestly. I've been to churches, and I'm just, seriously, I'm just like, what are you doing? We love your sermons. Will you come back? Heck No. Yeah, I don't do what I do for the money. I don't need bookings. I want to be a part of churches that are hungry. Seriously, your children's program, you guys are killing it. Your worship. Look at this. You, you don't even sit on those ancient hard wood torture devices. What are those things called? Pews? Yeah, you got rid of those things. Come on, that was funny. I mean, listen, dude, I mean, you're relevant. I love it. Look at your college students. You're killing it. I love it. See, it, doesn't, see, it never bothers me that a church doesn't reach out to their community. What bothers me is if you're a real Christian, how could you keep from it? See, don't tell me you love Jesus and then there's nothing going on inside of here. This is what Jesus said. See, the ministry of the Father is the adjective that describes him is supposed to describe you. That's his minute. And you know what? You know what actually the father calls that? A son. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Let me, let me translate that. There's neither black person or white person. There's neither African American, Caucasian, Asian, Filipino, Native American, Indian. There's neither Jew nor Greek. You mean we're all, we have ethnicities, but it doesn't define who you are. Christians are colorblind. Seriously. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Male nor female. It's so interesting how we've pigeon. We talked about this at lunch. It's so interesting how we've pigeonholed certain callings within the church as male and certain callings as female. Find it biblically for me. We are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. It's Galatians chapter 3. So the blessings of the Father is what describes him. is supposed to describe that. And we call that the son. A son is the inheritor of the Father. 
Okay, that's the Father. Let's look, let's look at, uh, and we'll come back here to John chapter 5, but let's go back to Ephesians. So he says, the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms. We already talked about that. So all of the blessings, this is crazy. People say, you mean I physically look like God? No. It's like when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. Which is beautiful, man. We look like a redeemed individual. These are not physical blessings. So in other words, when I get saved, it's not like I automatically get smarter. <laughs> and I've prayed for that. Seriously, I'm just as dumb as I've always been. I'm just relying and living on a wisdom that's not mine. It's beautiful. Now, the blessing of Jesus is he is literally the category of the blessing. That's how he See, G, the Father says, here's, what, here's the deal. The Father says, I want the adjectives that describe me to describe my kids. So Jesus says, I know how, I'll do, I, know how I can participate. I'm going to come as the one who actually has that blessing, who is, who is by right a child of God. See, when you look at Jesus, at the, it's really interesting. There's this neat passage in Luke if you were to go to Luke chapter 4, and you can do this or you can just, it's super quick. But at, the, at Luke chapter 4, if you go back into the last couple verses of chapter 3, you have this big long genealogy that Luke gives. And at the end, he traces, basically what he's doing is he's tracing Jesus' lineage all the way back through David to Adam. And as he gets close to Adam, he traces and it says, Adam was the son of God. Let me go ahead and read it to you real quick here because it's, it's really neat how he says it. Luke chapter 3. Look, verse 30, the middle of verse 37. So the son of Enoch was the son of Jared, who was the son of Mahalalel, <laughs> butchered that one, who was the son of Kenan, who was the son of Enosh, who was the son of Seth, get this, who was the son of Adam, and it says, who was the son of? And you're like, hold on, are you saying Adam was a son of God? I, apparently, that's what it says. So you would say, hold on, hold on. So just as Adam was, just as Jesus is a son of God, Adam is a son of God? Yes, kind of, Okay. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, Adam is the Son of God. But the Bible says Jesus is the only begotten Son. Well, what does that mean? Jesus is the only one who can go back to his birth and by right say, I'm God, I'm the Son of God. Like, I came from him. Adam couldn't say that and you couldn't say that and I can't say that. Well, then what do we say? We were created for sonship. In other words, we were created to have the relationship with God that Jesus had with God. So the idea is, is that one day God gets up and he looks at Jesus. This is so neat, college students. One day God gets up and he looks at Jesus and he's like, dude, I love you. I think you're awesome. And Jesus is like, dude, I love you. God's like, you know, in fact, I love you so much. Oh, I wish you were twins. 
And that's it. That's it. You know what? I love you so much. I want more of you. And made you. And he created in us in his image and likeness. So that he could have relationship with us that he had with Jesus. And then Adam threw it all away. And so Jesus says, here's how I'm going to bless. Here's how Jesus, here's how I am going to participate in your redemption. The Father wants all the adjectives that describes him to describe you. And Jesus says they do. All the ad- Jesus said stuff like, if you've seen me, you've... Yeah, all the adjectives that describe the Father describe Jesus. So Jesus comes and says, listen, the Father wants to offer you redemption. He wants all the adjectives that describe him to describe you. And I've come to make that happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of your past, all of your identity stuff, all of your mistakes. I'm going to take everything that makes you what you are. And I'm just going to suck it out of your being. And I'm going to take who I am and I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to take everything that makes you you and I'm going to make it me. And then I'm going to go die on a cross. (laughs) So you don't have to be who you've always been. Jesus says, that's what I want to do for you. You can have my past. You can have my inheritance. And he went into the grave. And God raised that. And if God can raise Jesus out of the grave, he can raise you. And he seated him at the right hand of the Father. And you and I can have the righteousness of Christ. Literally. So the next time the enemy comes to you about your past, say, dude, have you read the Bible? It's been around for 6,000 years. Come on, I know you're lazy. I know you're a liar. Read the thing. There's the New Living Translation. It's super easy. There's like a concordance in everything. Come on, you know this. My past, it's no longer mine. In fact, when you begin to poke in my past, you're really poking him. Because he took it on. And he never, I'm not even allowed to go get it. See, you're not allowed to go back to your past and feel bad about it. Because it's forgotten. There's times I'll be coming to the Father and I'll talk about my past and I'll be whining. And God's like, yeah, I don't remember. What are you talking about? Because that belongs to Jesus. Your past does not belong to you. All your failures. It's so interesting. People talk about, they, they, you know, about I was a, you know, and I'm not belittling it, but I was abused and I went through this. And I went, why do you carry that around? That doesn't have to define you anymore. I mean, it happened to you. I remember it. But that doesn't define me. The defining event in my life is Jesus, man. Where I became a son. And I have a new inheritance. And I have a new past. I've got a new dad. I've got a new bloodline. That's who you are. Start living like it, man. Isn't that so good? You're like, that'll preach. That's what I'm doing. The ministry of the Father, man. The ministry of the Father is he wants all the adjectives that describe him to describe us. And Jesus came, and his blessing, his redemptive effort in your life is to make sure that happens. The third one, 
The third member of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And in our passage, get back there. It's called every spiritual blessing, which should actually just read the Spirit's blessing. And you know what the, and by the way, the word spiritual there, it's the word pneumaticus. When you go throughout the New Testament and you look for the pneumaticus, which is those things that belong to the Spirit, let me say that again. Okay? When you go through the New Testament and you look for the Greek word pneumaticus, it's normally translated spiritual because those are the attributes of the Spirit. When you come into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, the word gifts is not even there in the original language. It's the word pneumaticus. So it's now concerning the spiritual. We just put gifts there to help us understand what he's saying. So what he's really saying is concerning those things which belong to the Spirit. See, that you know what the Holy Spirit's blessing is? His redemptive movement in your life is he takes the attributes of himself and he gives them to you. That's why we call it the fruit of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the child of God. And there's something I really want you to understand. See, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that you don't live out of anything but the Holy Spirit. Okay, we talked about this this week. You have anger. I have anger. That's an emotion. You just don't live out of anger. Anger doesn't source you. The Holy Spirit sources you. You have a bodily drives, but they don't drive you. You're led by the Spirit. See, I just, every time my sex drive comes alive, I don't just obey it. I do what Paul says. My body submits. Because I don't live according to my flesh, but according to the Spirit. I just don't, I don't, I don't tolerate that. See, I don't want my stomach to dictate my life. That's called gluttony. So we don't live out of emotion. So think about this. Love, joy, well, love. Love is not an emotion. Did you know when you love somebody, you're literally wrapping them with the Holy Spirit? Think about that. The next time you're walking down the street and you show love to somebody, that's not an emotion. That's a spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit. You mean I can literally just bathe someone in the Spirit? Wouldn't that change them? And remember what I told you this week, I do this through comedy. Remember the guy on the freeway? Yeah. For those of you who aren't here, this is a great story. I'm a crackhead. Not literally. So I was driving down the road some time ago, not paying attention. I'm on my phone. I repented. I practically run this guy off the road. He's mad and a hornet, yelling, screaming, cursing at me, giving me the finger, telling me I'm number one. I'm trying to apologize. We come up to a backed-up traffic, sitting right beside each other. It was so awkward for him. He's looking out, literally yelling at me, man, spitting it in his window. I'm not kidding you. It was like he was ferocious. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. He looks forward. He's just all, and, I, and it, the Lord is speaking to me. I didn't cause that in him. That was already in him. I just popped the lid and let it all come out. And so I just started praying. And I said, I would love to affect that guy. I'm going to show him 
love, peace. I'm going to be patient with this guy. Do you know that when you're patient with the world, you're literally enveloping them in the Holy Spirit? So I beeped my horn, and he looked over at me, and I said, dude, seriously, I'm sorry. He just, he doesn't know me. I beeped my horn again, and he looked at me, and I went, I? And his whole complexion changed. He was like, and he kind of got a smile on his face. And he shook his head and looked forward. And I beat my horn again. And he looked over at me and I went. <laughs> and then no matter what I did, no matter how many times I beeped the horn, he wouldn't look at me. He just looked right ahead, man. But he was smiling the whole time. I'm telling you, I think that guy went to work and was like, you guys are never going to believe what happened to me on the highway today. See, what if affecting people doesn't have to be super spiritual? What if it doesn't have to be judgmental? What if it doesn't have to be corrective? What if you could just love people, man? It's not about being wrong. We're so afraid to pray for people. Irregardless of whether someone's healed, when a child of God who's filled with the Holy Spirit lays their hands on someone, something happens. Because he's living in your body. We're his hands and feet. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. When you are faithful to do what you're saying, literally, you're just, we just are explosive with the Holy Spirit wherever we go. Seriously, I view myself as like getting out of the pool and I run along the side where all the ladies who go to swim, who never swim, they just lay there half, half clothed. And so I get all in the pool and I come out and I just shake all over and they like, you know, get all annoyed. That's a ministry. I just run wherever I go. I just spray, spray Jesus. I love your pastor. He goes, he goes to the disc golf course and just sprays Jesus all over those people. See, what's your, what's your course? Where do you go? Just go, man. Show love. We, we, and again, it's interesting. Think about how physical you and I think. Well, I never know what to say. It doesn't matter. If you need to speak, words will be given to you. I've heard that somewhere. You mean I don't even have to say I can just love and show patience and smile and that's just as effective? Yeah, because you are, you are literally impacting your world spiritually. Physically, it doesn't matter what you say. If you had to say the exact right thing, he would give it to you. Or you would say it by accident. I have that all the time. I'll be at dinner with someone and I'll say something. They're like, oh, I was just praying that. I'm like, don't look at me. I'm a moron. I have no idea what's going on in life. I just open mouth, out comes stuff. Yeah, come on, man. I'm, I, I'm no one special, dude. Seriously, they've known me for 10 years. I'm a normal guy. It's probably why Mark and I get along so well together, man. Just you guys scratching themselves, walking around, have no idea what's going on in life. We just love Jesus, man. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? You don't have to be highly intelligent. It's probably why Jesus came and didn't pick scholars. He picked 12 ignorant fishermen, ex-tax collectors, harlot people. You don't have to have anything but him. Verse 3, Paul begins his 
his letter to the church in Ephesus, and he says, listen, our God wants to redeem you. The Father wants to take everything that describes him, and he wants to reproduce that in a son. Jesus came so that you could have sonship. And the Holy Spirit wants to indwell you to produce the life of a son. Isn't that a neat verse? Now, just like you, there's times, you know, I'll go home, I'll look at it, and I'll be like, I didn't see all that junk there. Is he making that stuff up? It's there. We just walk through it. It's who you are. Remember the standard, last thing, remember the standard for righteousness. In fact, I think Trevor's going to come. He always pops out of these secret doors. You ever notice that? I always feel like I'm being spied upon. Or are you leaving tonight? Is he... Trevor, he's somewhere. He's somewhere. But here's the beautiful thing. Like, God comes to Abraham, and I loved Abraham. James uses Abraham. Um, Paul talks about it. Everybody in the New Testament talk about Abraham. And you'd say, why would they all talk about Abraham? Abraham, listen, Abraham was considered righteous before the law was ever given. No do's and don'ts. Abraham golfed every Sunday. None of the law. Well, then how was he considered righteous? Because God came to him and said, here's what it means to be righteous. Abraham believed what God said, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. What does that mean? God comes to you and says, this is what I want to do with your life. All you have to say is, okay, you're a daughter. You're a daughter. You're a daughter. You're a son. You're a son. I want to transform your community through your life. I want to display every bit of me in you. All you have to say is, sounds good. I'm available. Boy, that's going to be neat. That's what it means to be a Christian. Father, I I receive tonight... I receive everything you say about me. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come in the power of your presence. You carry the fullness of who God is in the aroma of who you are. You saturate our physical atmosphere. As the worship was going on tonight, we, could, we were being led into the throne room by those who were gifted specifically to lead us. Just the air tingles with your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, there's there's those in this room tonight that just needed to hear that. We needed a confidence booster. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Perhaps some of you need to pray tonight. And I would, I, I just beg you, if you have any ounce of, I want that so bad, would you get out of your seat and come? I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a pastor. If, although if I know Pastor Mark, he'll be down here with me. But it doesn't matter if you're a board member. It doesn't matter if you're the sound technician. If you want every adjective that describes him to describe you, if you want what was going on in Jesus to go on in you, if you want the spirit of sonship operated in you, you can have him. It's a free gift of salvation. Doesn't cost you a thing. 
All you have to do is say okay. And let go. Just let go of anything that defines you. Any event. And again, I'll say this. You don't have to come down to an altar. We don't, I don't get paid more for heads that come down. I don't care about that kind of stuff. But just, I will say this. Just hear me really quickly. I will say this. If you've come to church in the past and you've prayed in your seat and nothing seems to ever change, maybe you need to get up. Seriously, there, there, I think there's a reason why Jesus says, just confess me before men. Is there anybody like that here tonight? Anybody need to come and pray? We can close early if you don't, but is there anybody needs to come and pray? Come on, any of us old timers? Anybody need to come? I, lo- I love it. Thank you, brother. I love it. Let's, would you, would you come? I'm telling you, we're living in a day and hour in our world where fear, depression, our world needs hope. And I'm telling you, no one can agree on the physical answers. Vaccines, no vaccines, masks, no masks, this political figure, that political figure. No no one can agree. Wouldn't it be neat if we just dropped out of all those kind of conversations and said, hey, spiritually there's an answer his name is Jesus he's the real answer man there is no answer in the physical he's the answer for your life he's the answer for your kids he's the answer for your circumstances he's the answer for what you've been going through come on let's, let's just seek him tonight if you're new here tonight maybe, you, maybe you're not a Christian and all this is brand new come on man grandma will come down and pray with you dad will come down and pray with you so let's just spend some time let's just spend some time seeking I really felt like this is where the Lord wanted us to be tonight I did I I just really felt like you need to know who you are I know who I am you need to know who you are and you are stunning seriously you are shockingly stunning spiritually the potential that you have you're a handful you are go home tonight and look up the term juggernaut and then just write your name there because there is nothing the enemy can do about you there is no answer for a child of the most high God isn't that phenomenal it's who you are wear it own it anything that anybody says about you any label any lie that's been put on you you've been a loser you're dumb you're never going to amount whatever do you guys know about my past? Do you know I was kicked out of the Marine Corps in 1995 from meth use? <laughs> Did you know that? You know I graduated 87 out of 91 in my high school class? I've been a failure my whole life. When Jesus called me to preach, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Is this like an eternal joke? Seriously. I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. Someone popped a Bible in my hand. I began to read it. And then I began to look at the kinds of people that God called. I was like, dude, those are my peeps. Ignorant fishermen, tax collectors, Gideon's army. They're all morons. I'm in. So I just let go of all my past. I traded all of that. I made off like a bandit. 
I traded all my past to be a child of God. You can do it as a child, a son of God, a daughter of God. Father, I pray that you would lavish your love upon us. It's the truth actually how you see us. Thank you for your word tonight. It is such a joy to proclaim the truth about people. It is so, it is such an overwhelming joy to stand up and combat and cut through the lies of our enemy and speak truth. It resonates with us. There's hope. So I pray for those who are at the altar. Right now, in the name of Jesus, those of you who are praying at the altar specifically, those of you who are at the altar, I just come into agreement with you for what God wants in your life. Father, so what you're wanting to do in their life I come into agreement with that. Where two or three are gathered, a a, a strand of three cords is not easily broken. So, uh, Father, you and I and the individual here who's praying, I come into agreement in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. I come into agreement for your will. I come into agreement with your purpose for their life. Bring transformation, bring renewal bring a renewing of the mind free Father of the past I pray Father as you begin to reveal to them the areas of their life that you're calling them in this moment to lay down I pray they just confess that right now in the name of Jesus I confess this I release this I come out of agreement with this I repent of this I'm no longer going to talk that way I'm no longer going to look at that that I'm no longer going to look at that. I'm no longer going to watch that. I'm no longer going to seek activity here. I'm no longer going to seek fulfillment in this area of my life. I'm no longer going to believe this lie that was spoken over me. I'm no longer going to let what happened to me define me. I choose Jesus to let your Father's description describe who I am. I do. I just, I receive what you say about me. And I, I announce that it's true. I am a new creation in the name of Jesus. Father, for those who are praying out in their seats right now, whatever it is, for a loved one, a marriage, their own spiritual complacency, maybe they're just praying to be more on fire. Whatever it is, Father, I come into agreement for your will also for their lives in the name of Jesus. Father, for those who are watching right now online and what's even neater, those who are going to watch online later and those who are going to listen to this off of my podcast, I come into agreement with that one who's praying right now. I come into agreement for that one who's listening right now. The one who's hearing, I come into agreement for your will for their life. Holy Spirit, anoint that moment. Anoint them as they're sitting in that car. Anoint them as they're sitting at home. Anoint them, Father, as they're running on the treadmill. Move in their life. Accomplish your will for their life. It is a great joy in the name of Jesus to be able to proclaim truth about who we are. We love you, Father. And all in agreement, this is important for us to agree with our voice, all in agreement would say, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Appreciate you being here tonight. And uh, sorry I prayed so long. I have a tendency to do that. It's 8.30. Hour and a half. That ain't bad. Worship is long too, so that, that ain't my fault. Um. 
having a blast with your staff, and I just think your church is great. Uh, so we're going to be back here tomorrow night at 7, and then Wednesday night at 7. And uh, tomorrow night we're going to get back into Ephesians chapter 6, and it's fantastic material. So jeremiahbullet.com, check out our podcast. All that's free. I'm on Facebook. I'm on all kinds of stuff. So just you can be a part of that. would love to speak into your life. All hearts clear? Are we good to go? All right, see you tomorrow night. You're dismissed. Amen. Amen.